0: <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the mind. The best love programs from radio's golden age. Only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and
1: welcome to the show. Let me take you back to the year that followed the end of World War II, 1946. That year saw a number of now-famous radio shows have their beginnings. In July of 46, The Adventures of Sam Spade, Detective, debuted on ABC. In September, The Bickersons debuted on NBC. And in October, Philco Radio Time, starring Bing Crosby, makes its debut on the ABC network with Bob Hope appearing as Bing's first guest. The show is recorded using large wax transcription discs. Another popular show audiences were tuning in for was the one we hear tonight Nick Carter, Master Detective.
2: What's the matter? What is it? It's the case for Nick Carter, Master Detective.
3: Yes, it's the case of the Red Goose Murder. Another case for that most famous of all manhunters, the detective whose ability at solving crime is unequaled in the history of detective fiction, Nick Carter, Master Detective.
4: Oh, listen, Patsy, why do you have to come back to the office at this time of night? I
2: just want to be sure that I finished everything before I left Scubby. Nick away, it sort of leaves the responsibility on my shoulders.
4: Okay, but shake it up, will you? The last show starts at 8.40, and it's 8.20 now. Now
2: This won't take but a minute, Scubby. I simply want to have everything in order for the morning. (sighs)
4: That was a good feed we had, wasn't it?
2: Mmm, that sad was out of this
5: world.
4: Oh, doggone it. I knew we should have stayed away from this place.
2: Nick Carter's office, Patsy Bowen speaking. Mr. Carter there? Uh, uh, not at the moment. Who's calling, please? Art Bradley, manager of the Red Goose. When do you expect Mr. Carter? I can't say exactly. Uh, Can I do something for you? I'm his assistant. Well,
5: maybe you could help me out. Uh,
2: I'll be glad to if I can. Suppose you tell me why you called. It's
5: like this. My girl, Singer, has just died very suddenly. Oh. She was all right a half
4: hour ago, but when I stopped in her room just now, she was slumped on the floor dead very odd
2: to me. Well, why don't you call the police? Well, I
4: was going to, but the police visiting my nightclub would hurt business. She may not have been killed, so I wondered if Mr. Carter... You see, I met him the other evening at one of his lectures.
2: Oh, I see. I wondered if he wouldn't come over and see what actually happened before I do anything
5: further. If you
2: have any suspicion that her death wasn't natural, Mr. Bradley, you'd better call the police. Yes, I suppose I had that. Uh, who should I call? Can you tell me? Uh... Oh, look, Mr. Bradley, leave it to me. I'll take care of it for you. Oh, well, that'll be fine. Thank you so much. Goodbye. Goodbye.
4: Now what, more trouble? Oh,
2: not for us, Scubby. I have to call Sergeant Matheson. Then it's
4: us for the movie. Oh, swell. <laughs> I thought for a minute we were going to miss that, western. Oh, no,
2: sir. On the
5: side,
2: Sergeant Matheson. Oh, hello, Sergeant. This is Patsy. Oh, hiya, Patsy. What's up? Uh, Art Bradley, manager of the Red Goose on West 7th Street, says his girl singer is dead, and he thinks maybe she didn't die naturally. You better take a look and see what's what. Nick going over? Oh, no. Nick's out of town for a few days. You'll have to solve this alone, if you can.
4: What do you mean, if I can? (laughs) I solved murder cases before (laughs) you was born. Just because Nick has helped me out once or twice... I apologize,
2: Sergeant. Happy having to you.
4: Bye. Come on, Patsy. We just got time to make it. Right with you, Scubby.
2: Let's see how the movies do it, just for a change.
4: Oh, this is just the way you found her, Bradley, huh? Nothing been touched? Nothing, Sergeant. You see, I opened the door to the dressing room to speak to her, and there she lay on the floor. I shut the door again and called Mr. Carter. Good. Yeah, yeah, it's murder, all right. You see this? That mark around her neck, you mean? Yeah, strangled with a fine cord or a wire, maybe. It's murder, sure. Only dead a few minutes, too. Not more than 15 to 20, I'd say. Uh, how did you happen to come to her dressing room, Bradley? Well, it's payday today, and I brought up the payroll sheet for her to sign. See, I'd given her an envelope downstairs sometime before, but she hadn't signed for it. How much did she make? 150 a week. Hmm, good racket she was in. Made more than I do. Is uh, that her handbag on the dressing table? Yes, I think so. Huh. Notice it's open. Let's see if she's still got all that dough. Empty, by golly. Not a cent left in it. Hey, that must have been the motive for the killing. Yeah. Robbery. Uh-huh. Beautiful kid like that killed for a measly 150 bucks. Wait till I get my hands on the guy that did... Yes,
2: you do, darling. Well, Patsy, what are
4: you doing here? And the demon reporter, Scubby
5: Wilson.
4: am, Maddie. We were almost to the movies when Patsy's feminine curiosity got the better of her. She just couldn't stand the idea of a murder investigation going on without her being here to poke her nose in it. Uh-huh. Well, Patsy, now that you've poked your nose in, you can just poke it right out again. I don't need no help from you.
2: Why, Sergeant, I wasn't trying to help. I was just interested. Mm. Uh, is that... Was she killed, Sergeant?
4: Yeah, strangled with a cord or a piece of wire. Oh. 150 bucks stolen out of her handbag. And no more questions, see? Yes,
2: Sergeant. But please, may I just watch?
4: Okay, okay. Just don't bother me. I won't. Uh, Bradley... How many rooms on this floor? There are three rooms on the second floor, Sergeant. My office, this dressing room, and the dark room. All on this side of the building. Dark room? What's that for? That's where the girl who takes the flashlights of customers in the club develops the pictures she takes. As soon as she gets three or four snaps, she comes up and makes prints for the customers to buy. Then she could have been in and out of this room any time. Yes. Yes, she could. I want to talk to her. Sure, sure. Hey, if all three rooms are on this side... They must all look out onto that roof next door. Yes, they do. The adjoining building is a one-story flat roof to pair, same length as this one. Uh-huh. You? Windows always kept open, Ollie? Oh, on hot nights like this, yes. You ever see anyone on that roof? Uh, from this club, I mean. No, I don't ever remember any of our people ever going out there. No reason why they... Oh, oh, uh, Marie! Just a minute. Yes, Mr. Bradley? Sergeant, this is Marie, the girl who takes the pictures. You oh. said you wanted to talk to her. Yeah, I do. Uh, Marie, uh, when did you see this girl? This... Uh... Paula! What's happened to her? Is she... Yes, Marie. She's dead. She's been killed.
2: Poor oh, Paula! Paul.
4: When did you see her last?
2: It was just after her first show, maybe half an hour ago.
4: Was she alright when you saw her?
2: Oh, yes. She, she was as happy as anything. She came upstairs just as I finished printing my last batch of photos. I asked her for an autographed picture of herself, and she said that if I'd take one, she'd autograph it for
4: me. You took one, did you?
2: Yes, I snapped it right then.
4: You developed it yet?
2: No, I was just going to now.
4: Uh huh. Well, let me see it as soon as you get it done. Might get some ideas from it.
2: I'll have it for you in ten minutes, Doctor. And may I watch you, Marie? I used to take pictures when I was a kid. Uh, I'm Patsy Bowen, Sergeant Matheson's assistant.
4: Yeah, my assistant, my pain in the neck.
2: Call us, Miss Bowen. I'm glad to have you. Did you ever develop your picture? Oh, no, I can't do that. Yeah,
4: women. They give me a pain. Um, uh, Mr. Bradley, how many employees do you have here in the Red Goose? Why, there are 12 in the kitchen crew, seven in the orchestra, five front men in the lobby and inside, the check girl, flower girl, and Marie. I want to talk to them, all of them. Get them up here. And yeah, look, Sergeant, couldn't we sort of take it easy, just talk to them one at a time, kind of private-like... And don't want to upset the whole club. Give a club a bad name, you know. Oh, don't give it another thought, Mr. Bradley. Sergeant Matheson is the soul of discretion and the epitome of integrity. Hey, are you calling me names again? Oh, not at all, Matty. They were compliments. If you only knew it. Well, pipe down, will you? Okay, Bradley, I'll take it easy. But I want to talk to every one of them. Alone or together, I don't care. Now, come on, let's get started. Hey, Sergeant, yeah? i got some news for you. Yeah? What is it, Scubby? Your homicide squad is all through. Just left. Oh, some news. That helps a lot. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you finished your checkup? Yeah. yeah, we've accounted for all but two waiters and one of the front men. And all three of them have been with me for years. They can't be mixed up in this. Who says they can't? Anybody could be mixed up in it. But we'll let them go for now. I want to ask that Marie a few questions. She's the one nobody can check up on. Let's go back up and see what she's got to say for herself. If you don't mind, Sergeant, I'll stay down here. You two go right ahead. Ask her anything. Anyway. All right. Come on, Scumby. Right with you, Matty, old boy. Mr. Bradley says she only makes 35 bucks a week. What she can get out of the customers. She could have needed that money. Oh, she seems like a nice kid, Maddie. I don't think she'd be You up. too? When will you guys learn that appearances don't mean a thing? Oh, there oh. you
2: are. Oh. Uh, I to look for you. Marie's been waiting to show you the picture she took of Paula. Here it is,
4: officer.
2: Yeah. Just think, she'll never autograph it for me now. Ah,
4: huh. looks happy enough.
2: And look at this one, Sergeant. What? That's the picture Marie took while Paula was singing her last number. See her in the background?
4: Yeah.
2: And see whose picture it is.
4: Hey, that's Alworth Van Keppel, the millionaire playboy. Uh-huh. Does he come here often?
2: Oh, about once a month and always with a different girl. On oh, this time. He always gets his picture taken, too, and he's always good for a swell tip.
4: Marie, suppose you and me have a little talk.
2: Now? Yeah. Oh, I have to go down and deliver these pictures before the customers leave.
4: Okay, but make it snappy. Mm. Uh, I'll go with you, just in case.
2: In case of what?
4: Just in case.
2: Wasn't Marie nice, Cubby? She made me extra copies of her last batch of pictures for my scrapbook.
4: Patsy, uh, let me see that picture of Anne Keppel again.
2: Sure, Scubby. Ah. It's a good one, isn't it?
4: hmm Patsy, how many men do you see in the orchestra of this picture?
2: Huh? Oh, gee, Scubby, they're so far in the background, it's hard to tell. Well, look closely. Mm-hmm. Five, six. Six, why?
4: Well, Bradley told us there were seven men in the band. The picture shows only six. Huh? I wonder where the other one was.
2: Uh, how are you folks oh. making out? Find anything yet? Oh, uh, Mr. Bradley, you said there were seven men in the band. Yeah. Well, this picture taken during the first show tonight shows only six. That's
4: So, let's see... Yes, the guitar player, Steve Dawson, isn't there. See, that's Any funny.
2: Any idea why he wasn't there when this picture was snapped?
4: No, no, I know he was there when the show started, and he's there now. I saw him as I came up. I don't understand this, Cubby, huh? do you suppose he kind of... Oh, probably. Oh. Uh, Marie tells me this was Paula's last night here. She was going to work for another club beginning tomorrow night. Yes, yes, that's true? Well, how come you didn't tell me about that before? Well, I guess it just slipped my mind, Sergeant. Why was she leaving? Well, she got a better job. More money than I could pay her. But That's
2: all. Sergeant, while Paula was singing her last number, the guitar player was missing from the band. Do you suppose he could have come up here and, and done this?
4: A guitar player, huh? Hey, Bradley, do these musicians have a dressing room here anywhere? Yes, yes, they do, on the third floor. They keep their stuff in lockers up there. How much longer are they going to be playing? You see, it's 9.10 now. They break at 9.30. Uh-huh, so we got 20 minutes. Let's have a look at this guitar player's locker. Maybe he knows something about this. Uh, Which one is this uh, Steve's locker? It's the third one from the left. Got his name on it. Good. Oh, not locked. That helps. No? Nothing in this old jacket. Just the racing form. Hey, what's that written on it? Huh? Oh, Central... Eight, seven, four, oh, Mike. That's probably his bookmaker. Yeah, probably. These boys play the horses pretty heavily, I understand. Oh, yeah? Then this Steve could need money, maybe, if the nags weren't running for
2: it. Anything else there, Sergeant?
4: No, Patsy, only this old guitar case. Hmm, and that's empty.
2: Gosh, they use nice velvet for the lining, don't they?
4: Well, maybe it was nice once, but it's pretty well shot now, Patsy. Oh,
2: yes. Look at this big tear in it. Oh, Sergeant, look at this.
4: What? Money.
2: Hidden in the line.
4: Right. Seven twenties and a ten. Say, that's what I paid Paula tonight. What? Huh? So Steve took it. But, but why did he have to kill her to get it? He could have got it without that.
2: Well, we don't know that he did kill her, Mr. Bradley. The
4: guy that got the money is the guy that did the killing, according to my book. Hey, Bradley, get Steve Dawson up here. We'll see if he can get out of this. Certainly, Sergeant. I'll have him meet you in Paula's room right after the band breaks for intermission. And you can bet I'll keep my eye on him until then. Uh,
2: Mr. Bradley, do you have a phone we could use? Yes, of course. There's one in my office. The room right next to Paula. Thanks.
6: Come with me, Scotty.
2: I've got a job for you.
4: Anywhere with you, beautiful. Just lead be the way. <laughs> You say you want me to call this number we found on Steve's racing form? Right, Scotty, And ask for Mike. Oh, do you want me to ask him anything special? Oh, no, just say it's Steve Dawson calling. Yeah. Then stroll
2: around and see if maybe he won't let something slip about Steve's finances.
4: Okay, what can we lose? Here goes. Hey, right. Phil. Oh, I wish I knew what this Steve's voice sounds like. You know,
2: just talk a little husky. As if it were a bad connection. Mike will never know the difference. I hope. The purple Pig. Good
4: evening. Well, hello, is Mike there? This is Mike. Who's talking? Steve Dawson.
5: Oh, yeah, Dawson. You
4: got the money ready for me? Well, I've got part of it.
5: Part of it? Hey, listen, you know what I told you. You have it all when I call for it tonight or else. The whole 300 bucks you borrowed. And the hundred dollars interest for the two weeks you had it.
4: Well, isn't there some way I can let you have part of it now and the rest of it? That's
5: Dawson. Four hundred
4: smackers in a bunch by one o'clock tonight for trouble. And I mean
2: trouble. Okay, Mike. Goodbye. So Steve did need money.
4: He sure did. Four hundred dollars by one o'clock tonight and no fooling around either. So
2: Steve might have needed that money so bad he'd be running to kill Paula to get it.
4: Well, it sure looks that way from where I sit. I wonder
2: Scubby, if... what's that on the floor over under the window?
4: Huh? Oh. Looks like tar. Tar? Yeah, tar off somebody's heel. Maybe somebody was out on the roof and got some on a shoe.
2: Mr. Bradley said nobody ever went out there. But look here. Here's a smudge on the windowsill too, Scubby. Do you suppose... Have well, you got
4: a flashlight, Patty? Yeah,
2: my, my. will one here in my bag. I Why? think
4: I'll have a look at the roof outside this window. There might be footprints or something.
2: And if you're going out there, yeah. I am too. Give me a hand.
4: Okay, beautiful. Here.
2: Easy, now. Huh? Uh, There you are. Hey. Tar on this roof is soft, isn't it?
5: Yeah,
4: tar roofs generally get that way on warm days. No, I don't see any prints here anyway. Uh Well, that doesn't prove anything, of course. Soft tar wouldn't hold prints very well.
2: Uh, Scrubby, this fireplace must fire escape. Oh, I'm getting all mixed up. Must be the one that goes up to the musician's locker room.
4: Well, it probably is. I remember seeing one when we were up there before.
2: Uh, is Paula's body still in her room?
4: No, they took it away after the Homicide Boys finished their investigation.
2: Oh, I'm glad of that. I don't... Oops. What's the matter? I tripped over something. Caught my toe in it.
4: Well, there's nothing here, passing. Oh,
2: wait. Huh? Ah,
4: here's an old guitar string. Maybe you tripped on that.
2: An old guitar string? And Steve plays the guitar. Funny, isn't it?
4: How do you mean funny?
2: The sergeant says Paula was choked with a cord or a piece of wire.
4: Of course. And finding this guitar string here is no coincidence at all at all.
2: I wonder.
4: What do you mean, I wonder?
2: Oh, I don't know, Scubby, but that's what Nick always says when he's not sure of something.
4: Oh, his master's voice, huh? Oh,
2: something like that. Uh I'm just trying to think the way Nick would do it if he were here. Oh, I wish he were here, too.
4: Oh, I don't know. It looks pretty open and shut to me.
2: I know it does, but that's always a time Nick says to... Scubby. There's one of the musicians just coming into Paula's room.
4: That must be Steve Dawson. Yeah,
2: come on. I want to hear what he has to say. You want me,
4: Sergeant? Yeah, come on in. Have a chair. Uh, mind
2: if we join you, Sergeant?
4: Well, the love of Pete, what are you two doing out there on the roof? All oh, just looking at the stars, that's all. Do you mind if we come in? I don't mind what you do so long as you don't get my way.
2: Thanks. Help me up, Scubby. All right,
4: here you are. How <laughs> oh, easy. Watch the sill. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah.
2: Oh, thanks, Scubby. Won't
4: you come in, too, Mr. Wilson? Oh, Jesus, So kind of you to offer things. Will you two ever stop clowning? This is a murder case. Murder? What have I got to do with a murder? Everything, if I ain't mistaken, Dawson. Where were you at about 8 o'clock tonight? 8 o'clock? Yeah. Playing with the band, same as always. That's so. Patsy, where's that picture you had?
2: Here it is, Sergeant.
4: Thanks. Now and Steve, show me which one in this picture is you. Why, uh, I don't seem to be there. Uh, when was this taken? During Paula's last number in the first show tonight. Now, where were you? Oh, yeah, I I remember now. I I was late coming in. Mr. Bradley said you were there when the show opened. Huh? Oh, uh, yeah, I, I had to step out for a minute. You need money pretty bad, don't you? Money? Yeah. No, I just got paid tonight. I got plenty. You didn't get paid enough to repay the loan Mike made you. Three hundred bucks plus a hundred interest. Hey, what's that? Where did you find that out? Mike told us. Mike? What do you know about Mike?
2: And he's calling for it at one o'clock tonight, isn't he?
4: I don't know what you're talking about. No? Then why did you kill Paula Windsor tonight and then swipe $150 from her purse? And don't try to lie out of it. We found the money in that old guitar case in your locker. I didn't kill her.
2: I swear it. Sergeant, we found this on the roof just outside the window.
4: What's that? String for a fiddle or something. So what? Could be a guitar string, Maddie. What? That settles it, Dawson. You saw Bradley give Paula her salary earlier tonight, so you sneaked off the bandstand during her last number, came up to her room, and tried to sneak her purse. She caught you, and you killed her. No, I didn't kill her. I didn't. You strangled her with a guitar string you happened to have in your pocket and threw it out the window. I didn't kill her. She wasn't even in the room when I took the money. Oh, so you admit you stole the money. Yeah. Yes, I stole it, but I didn't kill her. She was just finishing her song when... When I got back downstairs. No good, Dawson. If you can make a jury believe that, you're a better man than I think you are. But I tell you, I didn't. Look here, Scott. Here's a slip in. of paper
2: on her dressing table with that same number on it that we just called C
4: E eight
2: seven four zero.
4: Wonder what she was doing with that. Playing the horses, maybe. I doubt it,
2: Sergeant. Yes. May I ask, Mister Dawson, a question?
4: Oh, you again? All right, ask it. Let me get out of here, uh,
2: Mister Dawson. What did you and Paula have in common about the
4: purple pig? Nothing. Mike is the manager there, and he's my bookie. Paula was supposed to start singing there tomorrow night. Mike met her here when when he came over once to see me and gave her a job. That's all. Now, so that's where she was going. Yeah. Bradley was all burned up about it, but Mike offered her more than Bradley did, so she gave notice. Come on, Dawson. You and I, you and I have a date at headquarters. Well, Look, Sergeant. I'm I... booking you for robbery and possible murder. Now, hold out your hand. I got a bracelet for it. But I tell you, I, I just... You don't... tell me, don't count. <clears throat> Uh, so long, Miss Patsy Carter. If you pick up anything I missed, uh, give me a ring. I'm always happy to hear from you.
2: Why, thank you, Sergeant. Well, Scubby, what do you think?
4: I think if I killed a girl with a guitar string, I'd never throw it out the window where it would be found first thing.
2: Well, that's the way I feel. And it seems to me that if Paula did catch Steve Dawson stealing her money... He wouldn't be likely to go fishing around in his pocket to see if he had an old guitar string he could kill her with.
4: Gosh, you're right, Patsy. He'd more likely strangle her with his bare hands.
2: You know, Scubby, I think the murder had nothing to do with the robbery. I think whoever killed Paula did it deliberately and used the guitar string to throw suspicion on Steve Dawson.
4: Which would account for his leaving it right outside where it would be sure to be found. Uh
2: And I noticed another thing, too, Scubby, that makes me think Dawson didn't kill her. It's not proof, but it's something to think about.
4: Yeah, what's that?
2: Well, when I saw Paula's body, I noticed that she had unzipped her dress as if she were going to take it off. Uh-huh. And her shoes were off, and one of her stockings was unfastened, which means she'd been in her room long enough to start changing her costume.
4: Good girl. And if she'd been leaning over unfastening her stockings, the killer could have crept up behind her without being
2: seen. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Oh, poor kid. Just look at this picture of Heather Marie took tonight. She's laughing and looks as if she didn't have... Copy! Huh? Look at this picture. Look at the mirror.
4: Hey, there's the figure of a man reflected in the mirror. From the angle at which the picture was taken, he must have been standing on the roof just outside her window. He
2: probably thought he couldn't be seen, but the camera caught him in the mirror. isn't plain enough to make out who it is.
4: No, the picture doesn't show him very plainly. But it's definitely a man in a black coat, and the musicians wear white. So it's not the guitar player.
2: Scubby, this man has a flower in his buttonhole. It's the right buttonhole instead of the left, the way most men wear them.
4: Hey, let's ask Bradley. Maybe he'll be able to recognize who it is.
2: Right, Scubby, come on. We'll show Sergeant Matheson, yes? (laughs) Bradley, got something to show you. Can we go somewhere where it won't be so noisy? Yes, yes.
4: Suppose you go right in here. <laughs> with the door closed, you can at least
2: hear yourself think. Ah, yes, this is better. Now,
4: oh, what have you found that would interest me?
2: And Mr. Bradley, this picture was taken this evening in Paula's room right after the first show.
4: Oh, yes. I remember Marie saying that she took one.
2: If you look in the mirror, you can see the reflection of a man standing outside her window on the roof. What?
4: Yes. Yeah. Yes, I see. It's a pretty pity it isn't a better picture of him so he could recognize who it is.
2: Mr. Bradley, have you ever been out on the roof outside your office? What?
4: No, I never go out there.
2: Then how do you suppose the spot of roof tar got on the rug in your office?
4: I wouldn't have the. It probably came off your shoe, Mr. Bradley. I see there's still some tar on the heel. But I didn't. Your right heel. Say, hey, look here. Are you implying that I
2: killed Paula? I am. I didn't realize it until I saw you again just now. But you wear your flower in your right lapel. Practically no one does that. You're a pair of
4: idiots. Why Why should I kill Paula? I had no motive to do a thing like that. I don't
2: understand about the motive part either, Mr. Bradley, but I'm sure you killed her. Now,
4: see here. Just because I happen to be standing outside Paula's window when Marie snapped that picture doesn't prove that I killed her. Just... Went out for some air and then went back to my office. She was alive the last time I saw her. You've forgotten one thing, Mr. Bradley.
2: Your fingerprints are on the guitar string you strangled her with.
4: All right, so I killed her. What are you two going to do about it? I'll have you two taken care of so fast. Sit
2: down, Mr. Bradley. You can't scare me
4: with that little pop gun. Don't kid yourself, Mr. Bradley. Patsy knows how to use that gun, and she will if she has to. And a 22 makes just as good a hole in a man's heart as a 45 does if it's aimed right the way Patsy aims.
2: Thank you, Scubby. Now, will you sit down, Mr. Bradley? Thanks. Now, Scubby, if you'll call Sergeant Matheson, he can put both the robber and the killer in the same cell. Mm.
4: You mean you're going to be at that typewriter for another hour, yes?
2: I'm sorry, Scubby, but I have to have a full report ready for Nick when he comes back. Eh. And I want to get it down in black and white while it's still fresh in my mind. Okay, okay, I
4: quit. I'm going home. I'll see you again sometime, I hope.
2: Why, I hope so, Scubby. Give me a ring sometime when you're free.
4: Oh, darn you, Patsy Bone! If I wasn't in love with you, I'd ring your neck.
2: <laughs> Good night, Scubby dear. Good Good night. Poor Scudley. Ah, let's
5: see. Where
2: was that? Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Nick Carter's office, Patsy Bowen speaking. This is my Patsy. Oh.
4: I just wanted to tell you, Bradley made a full confession. He did? Yeah.
2: Oh, that's good. I'll put that in my report, too. Oh, what'd he say?
4: He said he planned to kill Paula tonight, so he waited on the roof outside her window for her to come back from the floor show. Uh-huh. It was while he was standing out there that he saw Steve Dawson swipe the money out of her purse.
5: Well, that gave him the idea that he could
4: have a perfect alibi by making Steve the goat for the killing as well as the robbery. (laughs) So he went up the fire escape to the musician's room, found an old guitar string Steve had thrown out, and got back outside Paula's window just in time to see Marie snap her picture. I see. And then, while she was changing her clothes... He crept up behind her and strangled her and threw the guitar string out on the roof where it'd be found by the police. Or
2: by someone else. Uh, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Uh, Did he say what his motive was?
3: Yeah. He loved Paula, but she turned him down cold. Uh He
4: discovered this. He gave her her first Uh job. He felt she owed him something, but she told him to his face that he had done nothing for her and that she was leaving him for a better job with a better man. Uh Well, that made him so mad, and the fact that he really loved her desperately, that he decided if he couldn't have her, nobody else was going
2: to. Oh, the poor guy. Love is an awful thing sometimes. Yeah. Especially if it's not returned.
4: Yeah, but look, Patsy, there's one thing I don't understand. You said you told him his fingerprints were on the guitar string. Now, what was the idea of that?
2: Well, Nick always has something to clinch the case with. So I happened to think of that.
4: What, you ought to know a guitar string wouldn't take any fingerprints.
2: Sure, Sergeant, I knew it. But Mr. Bradley didn't.
3: Well, Patsy, in the absence of Meg, I suppose I'll have to get my hints on next week's show from you. How about it?
2: I sure can do, Carl. The case started when both Vince O'Neill and Otto Lerner found they were married to the same girl. Hmm.
3: What did Nick do about that?
2: Well, he started out to find the girl and straighten things out, if he could.
3: And he found her, I suppose, knowing Nick.
2: Oh, yes, he did. But when he located her finally, she could no longer give him any information. She'd been using a new jar of cold cream and taking a bath. Well,
3: what did that have to do with it?
2: Why, everything. That and the fight on the train.
3: Yeah. All right, all right. What's (laughs) the name of the story?
2: We call it The Case of the Extra
5: Husband.
3: Nick Carter, Master Detective, which is produced and directed by Jock McGregor, is copyrighted by Street & Smith Publications, Incorporated. Pictured stories of Nick Carter appear in every issue of the Shadow Comics. In the broadcasts of Nick Carter, Master Detective, Lon Clark is starred as Nick, Charlotte Manson is featured as Patsy, Maddie is played by Ed Latimer, Scubby by John Kane, Original music is played by George Wright, Script is by Jock McGregor. Any resemblance in these programs to actual persons, living or dead, or to actual places is purely coincidental. Nick Carter, Master Detective, is presented over most of these mutual stations each week at the same time. This is Carl Caruso saying, so long until next week. Auctions are exciting, but we've never heard of a public auction where the bidding went up, up, up to murder. There's your promise of thrilling mystery entertainment again tomorrow night over these mutual stations on Bulldog Drummond's case called Upholstered for Murder. That's Bulldog Drummond, Mondays on Mutual. Mm-hmm. This program was heard in Canada through the facilities of the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System.
1: Stay tuned for Phil Harris and Alice Faye next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Phil Harris and Alice Faye and a show that was first aired in 1949.
7: Good health to all from Rexall. <laughs> Monday, time for the Phil Harris Alice Faye Show, presented by the makers of Rexall Drug Products and your Rexall family
5: druggist.
7: Good health to all from Rexall. Now your Rexall family druggist Brings you the Phil Harris Alice Faye Show Written by Ray Singer and Dick Chevrolet With Elliot Lewis, Walter Tetley, Robert North Janine Roos, Ann Whitfield Walter Sharp and his music Yours truly, Bill Foreman And starring Alice Faye and Phil Harris Last week, the Harris family went to Washington to attend the President's inaugural ball. They returned to California yesterday, and as we look in, we find
8: Alice, Phil, and the children at home.
6: Phil, wasn't that a wonderful trip to Washington?
8: Sure was. You know, we met a nice group of people there. You know something, honey? Our president, Mr. Truman, is a pretty regular guy.
6: I say, he certainly is. But while I was dancing with him, I thought it was very rude of you to keep cutting in on us.
8: It was not rude. I was being very respectful. Everybody said it was an honor to dance with the president, so I thought I'd ask him.
6: Well, the children certainly enjoyed their trip back east, didn't you, girls?
1: Oh yes, Daddy showed us all the sights in Washington. He took us everywhere except to that place where they make the money. We wanted to see all that money, but Daddy wouldn't take us.
6: Oh, oh, you mean the Mint? Why wouldn't he take you there?
1: He thought it was a waste of time. He said, you have a larger display here
5: at home. Dad, <laughs> well,
8: you shouldn't say things like that to the children. You know something, kids? If it hadn't have been for your mother's money, we wouldn't have been able to come home from Washington.
9: What do you mean,
6: Daddy? Well,
8: we were having trouble getting reservations on the Super Chief, so your mother just up and bought the railroad. <laughs> Phil, it's now known as the Atchison, Topeka, and uh, Alice Fay. <laughs> oh, will you
6: please stop? Uh, girls, I think you'd better run along now.
8: Look, Alice, all kidding aside, if your brother Willie ever finds out how much you spent in Washington, he's going to blow his top. There's a guy that saves every penny he gets his hands on.
6: Oh, Phil, that's unkind. William is very generous.
8: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That kid just throws his money around me. He don't care what bank it lands in. <laughs> <laughs> How can a girl as generous as you have a brother as cheap as Willie?
9: I heard that. I resent it. You're uncouth. You're a cad. And good morning, Philip.
5: <laughs>
8: <laughs> hey, Alice, listen to this kid go. He's really spinning. Old triple-tongue fay this morning. (laughs) Philip, please don't pick on me. I feel bad enough as it is. All right, I'm sorry. What's the matter, Willie?
9: I didn't sleep a wink last night. My poor head feels twice its size. I feel like i had been out on a binge.
8: Well, it serves you right. I warned you about drinking them (laughs) (laughs) double-ovaltines.
9: Philip, it's not from drinking. You know I don't drink. But I imagine this is the way a hangover affects you. Just... What does a hangover feel like, Philip? A what? A hangover. A what? A hangover. How do you spell it? Stop pretending you must know what one feels like. I'd have no way of knowing.
8: Oh. <laughs> Look, when you see Frankie, ask him. I believe he once knew somebody that
5: happened. Oh, leave
6: him alone, <laughs> Phil. He doesn't feel well.
8: What's bothering you, Willie? Well, I'm suffering from
9: an affair of the heart. While I was away, Miss O'Connor broke our engagement, and now she'll
8: never marry. What are you kicking about? What do you want to get married for anyway? When a guy gets hooked, he's like a ship that's tied up to a dock. Ah, but when he's single, then he's free to roam the seas with a different girl at every port. He and a
6: big two, sailor. <laughs> Reverse your engines. You're heading for a reef.
8: Ram by my own destroyer.
9: (laughs) Well, I have to run along now. I have an appointment with the mayor. The town council's trying to find a new chief for the volunteer fire department. Why do we need a new one, Willie? Well, because the old one was very lax in his duties. While we were away, there was a fire in the public library. It completely destroyed the cultural arts and science reading room. Isn't that awful, Philip?
8: Oh, that's a (laughs) contastermony. Now me and Frankie's got no place to hang out.
9: Well, I knew you wouldn't understand, Philip. And to think yesterday at a meeting someone was foolish enough to suggest you as the new fire chief.
8: Me? Hmm. You mean they wanted little old three-alarm Harris?
9: They did, but I overruled the suggestion. Can you imagine any community with Phil Harris as fire chief? <laughs> what a frightening thought.
5: <laughs> Goodbye, Philip. Goodbye.
8: Guy's always belittling my ability. I think I'd make a darn good fire chief. I got a mind to call up the mayor and tell him I'll be glad to head his volunteer fire department.
6: Calm down, Smokey.
8: (laughs) Calm down. All right. In fact, I'm going inside right now and call the mayor, and if they still want me, I'm going to be their new fire chief. But, Bill, I don't think you... Oh,
6: well, once he makes up his mind to do something, there's no stopping him. He's always getting himself into trouble. Well, he's as bad as Clancy. (laughs) Clancy was a peaceful man, if you know what I mean. The cops picked up the pieces after Clancy left the scene. He never looked for trouble, that's a fact you can assume. But nevertheless, when trouble would press, Clancy lowered the boom.
5: Oh the Clancy! Oh
6: the Clancy.
5: Whenever they got his Irish up, Clancy lowered the boom, 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 boom. boom.
6: O'Leary was a fighting man, and they all knew he was tough. Uh, he strutted around the neighborhood, a-shooting off his guff. Uh, he picked a fight with Clancy, then a very sealed his doom. Uh, Before you could shout, O'Leary, look out! Clancy lowered the boom. Oh, the
5: Clancy,
6: oh, the Clancy. Whenever they got his up, Clancy
5: lowered the bowl, boom, 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 boom.
6: Now, Mulrooney walked into the bar and ordered up a round. He left his drink to telephone, and Clancy drank it down. Mulrooney said, Who drunk me drink? I'll lay him in his tomb. Before you could pat the top of your hat, Clancy lowered the boom. Oh, the Clancy! Oh, the Clancy! Whenever they got his Irish up,
5: Clancy lowered the boom, the boom, the boom
6: all turned out for Cato Gray this wedding night. McDougal said, let's have some fun. I, I think I'll start a fight. He wrecked the hall, then kissed the bride and pulverized the groom. Then quick as a wink, before you could think, Clancy lowered the boom. Oh,
5: that Clancy, oh, that Clancy. Whenever they got his He's Irish eyes up, Clancy lowered the boom. Boom, 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 lowered the boom. The back of me hand to you.
8: Hey, honey, I just talked to the mayor. The job was still open, so I accepted it. All I got to do now is to go down tomorrow and prove that I'm qualified for the job.
6: Phil, please don't go through with it. Please, please.
8: (laughs) But I got to. They need me. Oh, you ought to be proud. Your husband's going to be the new volunteer fire chief. Excuse me. Where are you going?
6: To call all the women in town and tell them to have their houses, husbands, and children fireproof. (laughs)
8: <laughs> well, it's a fine state of affairs when a man's own mate has no confidence in him I'll get it, that's Frankie Think she'd be happy about my getting a job It's a great honor, and I'm proud of being picked as head of the fire department May not impress Alice or Willie, but wait till I tell Remley Guarantee you, he'll be proud of me Hiya, Curly Oh, hello, Frankie Hey, come on in, kid, I got great news for you Yeah, what's up? Frankie? I'm gonna be the new chief You mean you're going to run between here and Chicago?
5: (laughs) Remley, they've
8: conferred a great honor on me. I'm an important guy. If you were really important, they'd make you the super chief.
10: (laughs) I'd rather be the 20th Century Limited. That runs in two sections.
8: Bradley, I'm not going to be a choo choo train. Well, then, you got no news for me. Wait a minute.
5: Now,
8: listen to me a minute. They picked me for one of the most important jobs in town. Frankie, I'm going to be the new volunteer fire chief. Well, clang, 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 and refill my extinguisher.
10: <laughs>
8: Curly, what do you know about fighting fire? What's there to know? If there's a fire, you put water on it. Fire and water. That's all I need to know. You might be right at that
10: Ain't nobody knows more about fire water than you do (laughs) Curly, there's more to being a fire chief than throwing water on a fire What do you know about fire prevention measures? Everything Do you mind if I ask you a few questions on (laughs) the subject? Oh, it's all so ridiculous,
8: but if it'll make you feel better, go on, go ahead What's the best way to prevent pyromania? Brush your teeth twice a day. <laughs> What's that got to do with preventing fires?
10: Before I give this up in disgust, I have one more question.
8: <laughs> All right, go ahead. Go ahead, ask me anything. In your opinion,
10: Chiefie, what is the ratio of acts of arson as opposed to conflagrations caused by spontaneous combustion?
8: <laughs> Remley, that's a... Uh... Well put question, you got.
5: <laughs>
8: you like it, huh? Yeah, but you ain't going to get no answer, so put it back where you got it. <laughs> Curly, it's obvious that
10: you don't know anything about fighting fires. If a fire started in this house, you wouldn't know what to do.
8: Are you kidding? The whole place could be blazing like mad and I could it I bet you could. I bet you five bucks I could. It's a bet. You got a match? I ain't got a match. <laughs> I ain't got a match, but I got a lighter. Wait a minute. This is my
10: house. So? We'll get in trouble if we set fire to a stranger's house.
5: <laughs> You've got to be
10: practical, Curly.
8: Look, the only way to find out how to
10: fight a fire is to start one.
8: We ain't going to start no fire in my little abode. Just a little harmless one, Curly.
5: Yeah. Nothing big. <laughs>
10: Look, we'll put some paper in that metal wastebasket and see if you can handle it. In that metal? Uh, you
8: sure nothing ain't gonna happen?
5: <laughs>
8: Will you please trust in me?
10: <laughs> now then, have you got any paper we can start the fire with? No, there
8: ain't no paper around here. Wait a minute, wait, had... wait a minute. How about this magazine? You can't burn that, Remley. Hmm? That's a February issue of Radio Stars and Television magazine. It's got my picture on the cover. So? So? <laughs>
7: Won't
10: be the first time you've had a glow on
5: <laughs> <laughs> i
10: just put it in the bathroom Yeah Now, I'll start the fire and you put it out All right, but be careful, remember All Remini. right, all right Just put this match to it <laughs> Hey, Curly, it's starting to catch As soon as it really gets going Phil, you- did
6: you see my... spill? The living room's on fire. Put it out. We just
8: got it started. Frankie. (laughs) Frankie, throw some more paper on it now and keep it going. Get a great big one.
5: Okay.
6: Have you two gone crazy? Frankie, you put that fire out. Sorry, madam. You're in the
10: wrong department. I just keep them going. The chief puts Ah. them out. Oh,
6: never mind. I'll take this seltzer bottle and put it out myself.
8: Alice, don't. Leave it alone. Don't put it out. Don't. Oh, look what you did. You put out my little fire. Now, I'll never become the chief.
6: Phil, forget about being chief. Call the mayor and tell him you can't accept the position. Well, go ahead. Call him. We don't want (laughs) to. Frankie, if you don't mind, I'm talking to my husband.
5: I don't mind. Go ahead and talk.
10: (laughs) (laughs)
6: We'll listen, but I'm warning you we ain't going to pay no attention. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Phil, Phil, listen to me. If you so much as light another match in this house, I'll... I'll cut every wire In your permanent wave machine
5: <laughs>
8: You wouldn't dare Alice, I have to practice Now, upon you this. heard me
6: I don't want any more fire Started in this house And that's an order Yes, ma'am And don't you forget it
8: No, ma'am <laughs> I admire the way you stood up to her,
5: <laughs> Now, wait a
8: minute, Ramley. She's the boss
10: around here. Mm-hmm. Must be difficult living under a totalitarian
5: regime.
8: <laughs> Maybe we can have her exiled to Siberia. Stop picking on Alice. She wouldn't like it there. Mm-hmm. After all... You can't blame her for not wanting to start a fire in her own living room. Now, come on. Let's go upstairs in my den. (laughs) Yeah, that's just the place. That room's all wood. It ought to burn good. (laughs) Now, wait a minute. We ain't going to start no fire in no room. We're going to play it safe, and we're going to put a fire in the fireplace.
0: Yeah,
10: fireplace. That'll be perfect. We can close the flue and fill a room with smoke. That'll give you the chance to practice rescuing a person from a smoke-filled room.
8: Yeah. Certainly. Hey. That rescue work, that's an important part of a fireman's duty, huh? Sure. Hey, look, Remley, what? when I take over, this town's going to have the best chief they ever had. Yeah. You know something? What? I'm going to write the mayor and thank him for the opportunity. Why thank him? Mm-hmm. Well, just to let him know I'm grateful. Yeah? you got to show your gratitude. Mm-hmm. Look, Remley, don't forget that in the wisdom of the sages who have lived in all the ages, you'll find a thread of thought that carries through. Mm-hmm. And then if you'll only take a good look through the pages of the good book, you'll find what was behind their point of view. Because you see, Remley, they took an interlude for gratitude. For the sight of moonlight and the warmth of the sun, things that are shared by everyone. Every morning when you climb out, just stop and take some time out to thank the man upstairs so thank your mother and your hardworking dad and think of the time they must have had on the road to fame and glory just save some oratory to thank the man upstairs just a few days little children few days little children few days my children for the folks downstairs just to find the land where everyone could be free that little Mayfrow crossed the sea. At the first Thanksgiving dinner, they said, boys, we picked a winner. Let's thank the man upstairs. What was back of Lincoln when he made history? The same thing is here for you and me. When you face your darkest hour, you know where to go for power. Just thank the man upstairs. It'll be a new day, little the new day, little children, new made for all the folks downstairs. When things looked hopeless, think of General George, and what did he do at Valley Forge? There he stood one winter sundown and made his soldiers kneel down to thank the man upstairs. It was a new day, little children, new day,
3: little children, new day, was made for all the folks downstairs.
8: Someday the world will realize in their prayers that someone above runs our affairs. So every night before you slumber for blessings without number, just
5: thank the
10: Got a good fire going In the fireplace Hey, did you close the flue? Oh, sure
8: Smile <laughs> you Smoke's starting to come In the room now Oh, good Hey, now look Here's what we're going to do, Remley What? I'm going to rescue you From this room
5: <laughs>
8: <laughs> What are you going to do? Carry me down a ladder Piggyback? No <laughs>
5: Oh,
8: no, let's do it the easy way Look, I got a net Now all you got to do Is to jump out the window Okay, Curly Oh, uh, who, me? <laughs>
10: I ain't jumping out of no window for nobody. I got too much to live for.
8: But I need somebody to practice on. Get somebody else. Must be somebody around who won't be missed. Yeah, but who can you get that'd be willing to jump out of a second-story window? Hey, you Mr. T- Harris,
5: I want to see him. And I-
8: well, if it ain't Julius, if he won't jump, we can always push him, him. a <laughs> Hey, Mike.
4: what? Hey, Raymond,
8: listen. Huh? You think we might... Take a chance and let that little monster jump into our net. Why not? If we catch him, our drill is
10: a success. And if we don't catch him, our drill is an even bigger success.
5: <laughs> yeah.
8: We got it to lose. Uh, he's light. He can't hurt the net. Hey, come on in, kid.
5: What are you guys doing up here? Hey, what's all the smoke in the room?
8: Hey, well, wait a minute, Julius. We're doing a little research work, and we'd like to have you help us.
9: Such huh? Sounds interesting. What part do I play in this?
8: Well, now look, your part is very simple, but very important. Yeah,
10: that's right. All you got to do is jump out of the window. That's all. That's all he
5: said. <laughs> what are you guys gonna get me? Why do you keep trying to do away
8: with me? We're <laughs> not trying to do away with you. This is a fire drill and you got nothing to worry about. You'll be jumping into a net.
9: Oh, that's Tell me I got a nip.
5: That puts a different complexion on the whole thing. Then you'll jump? Stop dead <laughs>
10: Let me handle him, Curly. I'll shame him into jumping. Julius, I know why you won't jump, and I'm ashamed of you. You're afraid. You're a coward.
5: You're a yeller. You said it. <laughs> <laughs>
8: well, you wait a minute, kid Now, look, you ain't got nothing to be afraid of When you jump, you'll land in this net
5: This is a net?
9: Ain't <laughs> it kind of small?
8: Of course not I caught some pretty big trout in this
5: <laughs> I ain't no trout I'm getting out of
8: here Now, wait a minute, Julius Wait a minute Now, suppose you were in a burning building And your clothes were on fire Then would you jump?
6: my clothes
8: was on fire, I'd
5: have
10: to jump. Oh? <laughs> <laughs> ah, darn, this cigarette light, it never worked.
8: Frankie!
5: <laughs> Stop
8: trying to light Julius. It ain't human. Don't do that. Besides, he's still wet behind the ears. He wouldn't burn well anyway. <laughs>
10: Come here a minute, Curly. I got an idea. What? Look, if we lock Julius in this room and the smoke gets thick enough, he'll have to jump.
8: Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Hey, hmm? When I say the word, we'll run for the door.
5: Right. What are you guys whispering about? <laughs> what medieval torture are you planning for me now? <laughs>
8: You'll find out. Let's go, Remley. Right, quick.
5: Can you hear it? Can you
8: hear it? There goes old seal face again.
5: He's
7: <laughs> uh, uh, starting to sound pretty good. He'll be ready to
5: jump soon. Yeah.
8: Go in there and get him Open that door
5: Oh,
8: get all right, me.
5: all
8: right Hey, friendly is smoking <laughs> I can't even see you hey. Oh, there he is He's over there to go in and look
5: for him Hey, kid, where are you? I can hear him
8: Yeah He must be over this way Yeah, keep coughing (coughs) Hey, let's follow his cough Julius, keep coughing (coughs) Julius Julius, why ain't you coughing anymore? I don't
5: know Unless it's because I found the door And I'm out in the hall
8: When the smoke gets too thick, fellas You can jump.
5: Oh, no Julius, no,
8: Julius Julius, open that door We can't last more than two minutes in there Two
9: minutes, huh? (coughs)
5: I'll open it as soon as I read this story in Liberty Magazine. Reading time: two minutes and fifteen seconds. Oh no! Oh! 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 Oh!
6: Oh! Thank goodness you're all right, fellas. Oh. Oh.
8: Every bone in my body. Hurts. Oh, I ache all over.
5: Yeah.
6: What happened, Alice? Were overcome by smoke, and Julia saved both of you.
8: Oh, bless his heart! Hey, gee, thanks, kid. Yeah. Hey, how'd you do it?
9: That was easy. I found a big net, and I put it below the
5: window. Then I rushed upstairs and threw you both out the window into the net. <laughs>
8: <laughs> oh, gee, kid, that was swell. You should. Wait a minute. If you were down, wait a minute, kid. If you were upstairs throwing us out the window, who was downstairs holding the net?
9: Oh, was somebody supposed to hold it? <laughs>
7: Good health to all from Rexall.
8: Folks, this is Phil Harris again. Somewhere in the United States right now, there is a little boy in a respirator. An iron lung. He's a victim of polio, and the complicated machine is keeping him alive. But that machine can't continue to operate, and that boy can't continue to live without your dimes and dollars. So, support your National Foundation for Infantile Paralysis. Join the March of Dimes. Send your contributions to your local march. Of Dimes Headquarters. Thank you.
7: This program was produced and directed by Paul Phillips. The part of Frankie Remley was played by Elliot Lewis, and Julius was played by Walter Tetley. Alice Fay appeared through the courtesy of 20th Century Fox. This is Bill Foreman wishing good health to all from Rexall.
1: Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, we wrap up the week with Mr. District Attorney, followed by our Miss Brooks. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. Stay tuned for some snappy lines from Ziggy on Stardust, next on Zuma Radio. I'm Frank
0: Proctor. Have a great night.